This pre-recorded show furnished by Matthew Mattern. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern, KBC 790. My guest today is John Marshall, the founder and CEO of Potential Energy Coalition. Uh, John, uh, pleasure to have you on the show. Great to be with you, Matt. Well, John, uh, you know, I understand from your bio that uh, you didn't immediately fall into the environmental world uh, coming out of uh, school and college. Uh, what, uh, what drew you into this area? Yeah, it's a great question. And the, and the origin story is, I think, like a lot of people's, my, uh, my kid made me do it. <laughs> I'm, a, uh, I'm a career business guy and marketer, and I spent the last 30 years working with big companies to help to sell their products and position their brands and help them communicate with their customers. And uh, one day, my 17-year-old, uh, who was taking a course uh, on climate change, came home from school and said, Dad, you know how to communicate. No one understands what the heck's going on, and I want you to do something about it. And uh, he actually locked me in the house for two days uh, and said, I want you to make some calls. And so I... Um, you know, I've been in the marketing and business world for, for a few decades. And so I said, okay, I'll get my Rolex out and I'll call my fellow executives and, and CEOs and say, do you, you know, you're, you're good at communications. Do you have skills and teams and assets and, uh, and resources that you would put into climate communications if, if I ask you to? And uh, after a couple of days, I got a lot of yeses. And so my, my kid's idea turned into, <laughs> turned into a little bit of a career shift and we ended up starting a new nonprofit called the Potential Energy Coalition. And our mission is to try and get the best marketers in America to help communicate climate change in a different way, in a way that grows the number of people who care about it, uh, in a way that's really non-political, and in a way that can hopefully make Americans aware of what's actually happening. So like a lot of these things, it starts with the younger generation kicking us in the butt a little bit and saying, get off off your duff and do something. So in this case, it was effective. And so since that time, I've been working on uh, taking all my for-profit skills and trying to uh, trying to help Americans understand what's happening with respect to the environment and climate change. And so uh, that was in what uh, 2017. Uh, that was in 2017. Yeah. And uh, so uh, so you've made the shift. Are you fully doing this uh, full time now? Yeah, we we ended up. It took a couple of years to get it off the ground. We got a lot of interest among uh, among the, my fellow marketers, and then we. Uh, incorporated a nonprofit and launched uh, about 20 months ago. And I've built a little team of about 25 people who uh, are working nonstop on, they're basically corporate folks like me working on how do you take those skills and, you know, help people understand what's happening with climate change. And we've, um, yeah, we're up and running and have launched our first big campaign earlier this year and plan to do a lot more. So uh, tell us a little bit about your first campaign. So the first campaign, which launched at the beginning of the year, uh, is called Science Moms. Uh, so our approach to this issue is to try and grow the number of people who are understanding it, aware of it, concerned about it, and acting on it. And right now, only about one in three Americans is actually, actually it's about 26% of Americans actually more exactly is, is concerned about climate change. So I want to double that number. And so what I'm looking for is new segments who don't typically get uh, involved in the climate movement that we can actually involve in it. And so our analysis showed us that, uh, that the mom was a really great place to start. Um, 
And she tends to be the person behind a lot of change that happens in society, whether it's mothers against drunk driving or, or any other social issue. And, and the research really showed that she was more concerned about it, but didn't know as much about it. And so we, um, we worked with a group that we helped to form called Science Moms, uh, which are a series of climate scientists who are also moms. Uh, and this is a group right now of eight really prominent climate scientists who uh, are at the leading edge of their field, but they also uh, you know, see it not through a scientist's point of view, uh, but a mother's point of view as well. And they were eager to, uh, to get their message out and we had the marketing skills to help them create content. And so we, we started to work together and uh, we have a bunch of amazing women who are advocates for educating people on climate. And they talk about it through the lens of being a mother as well as being a scientist. So that's, that's the first effort. And we'll continue to launch campaigns to go after different segments of the population. Uh, this one is going after, you know, in about seven or eight states, a pretty large number of mothers who haven't thought about the issue very much. But when they do, they tend to get pretty active. And they fall in the you know red, red, blue, and and, and purple camps. That's uh, like across the board politically. And we've what we've been looking for is, you know, Americans who don't want to view this as a political issue, but want to view this as a human issue. How do we bring them? How do we bring them to the party? And we're having pretty good success with both Republicans and Democrats in terms of getting more people involved with climate change. So what's what's the message to uh, to a mom? Uh, that that you're directing that kind of leads them into this conversation specifically i, I think it's a brilliant strategy and and uh, kudos to you and the marketing team i mean marketing has gotten so much more sophisticated in terms of understanding audience and testing audience and kind of maybe you could uh look have us look under and around the curtain to see what the wizards are thinking and doing but you know uh, I'm sure that the audience would love to know how uh, marketing gurus think. Yeah. Well, at one level, it's pretty simple. On another level, a little more complicated. Like the simple one is just getting a whole bunch of people together and thinking, learning how what they understand, what their daily concerns are, what their worries and passions and needs are, and and trying to like get into their heads. You know, and I think the issue with climate change is often it's it's not going to be the first thing that comes to mind when you're, you know trying to feed your family and, you know, do your job and deal with your health care and all these other issues. And it's probably the biggest issue that we face, but it may not be the most immediate issue. And so we found like the advantage of thinking like marketers is we think about the human being first. We don't think about the issue first. And so if you're trying to grow the number of moms who are aware of and concerned about the issue, the first thing to do is to figure out, well, what do they think about on a daily basis? And it happens to be their kids. And so if you if you think about positioning the issue in the context of what are you doing to give your kids a better life, that's what moms do. They, they focus on that all the time. They'll, they'll walk through walls to, uh, to you know, ensure that their kids have a better future. And probably one of the most meaningful things that they can do is, uh, is get active on climate. Because if, if one thing is going to affect life 20, 30, 40 years from now, which is basically their kid's future, it's this massive environmental issue that we're facing. So we have been creating these communications through the lens of what the mom cares about um, and uh, through her language. And that, um, you know, that has been sort of a different view. We're not talking about global warming. We're talking about, uh, you know, the effect of a changing climate on her kid's future, uh, her kid's ability to, to thrive and breathe clean air and have a good job and a safe community to live in. Well, that uh, is 
it seems rather obvious when you say it, but uh, I guess it's kind of like water to the fish. So we're so part of this system that sometimes we don't even see it. And, and that's, that's a pretty obvious one when you say it. It's like, duh, of course, moms care about their kids and, and want a good future for their kids. That's, that's an obvious kind of no-brainer. I didn't need a marketing guru to tell me that, but I needed a marketing guru to tell me that because I, I just, it's too, it's too obvious. I didn't see it. Well, you know, here's an interesting thing what we've learned. Like, you pretty much have to go through and you can go through whatever matters to anybody. Uh, and so if you're a property owner in, in coastal Florida, what matters to you is your lifestyle and your property and your property value. And so what matters to that person is what's going to happen to sea level rise and flooding and the property value. And is the community looking out for, uh, uh, for those individuals, you know, and I'll give you another five, 10, 20 different segments and everybody's got, everyone really does have a reason to care about the issue. And so we, most most issue based marketing starts with the issue and tries to kind of push it at the at the buyer a little bit, whereas like uh, we're trying to bring a discipline of let's understand all these different segments. Why might this be relevant to them? Um, and if you're a group of people who are really interested in national security and uh, you know safety of our forces and our veterans and so forth, there's a national security reason uh, to care about this. If you're interested in you know making sure you're feeding your family and uh, you're interested in the price of things. There's a reason for that. If you're interested in cool new technology, uh, there's lots of great reasons for that. If you're interested in more jobs and uh, where your career is going to go, there's many reasons. So we're we're trying to go for the like consumer first. <laughs> like, what do people care about? Then how do we actually package this issue up in a way that's relevant to them and their lives? Yeah, I was just talking about this uh, last week with somebody from the NRDC about the national security issue and the fact that. Clearly, from a national security issue, if we um, take away <clears throat> the use of fossil fuels, uh, countries like Russia, which is a strategic competitor of ours, would be at a disadvantage. Countries like Iran would be at a disadvantage because they have less revenue and less power in you know global politics because they they can't hold that over our head. So, just from that standpoint, the the United States has been very myopic and not seeing this as a national security issue for the last 50 years and, and switching over. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, our, our reason for being is that uh, climate change affects everything in life acutely. And it isn't, it isn't just an environmentalist issue. It's a, it's an everybody issue. Uh, and so if we can use our skills as marketers to, to help people understand it better and we could really accelerate the pace by which we're demanding change because the, the percentage of people who are demanding change right now is too small. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in crass marketing terms. I want to grow the market for this particular product in a, in a fast and aggressive way in order for us to get the quicker change. Well, that's a uh, great work you're doing, John. And, uh, you're listening to John Marshall of potential energy coalition, CEO and founder. And this is Matt Mattern with Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. We'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern and my guest today, John Marshall with the Potential Energy Coalition. John, we were just talking about uh, how, how you would discern different market segments in, in uh, communicating this message. Uh, regarding climate change. And one of the things that struck me as you were talking was kind of 
the important but not urgent box. And we're all familiar kind of with the four, with the box that has the urgent and important and the urgent but not important. And, um, and uh, I think that uh, for a lot of us, we don't do things that we know are important, but they're not kind of like the house isn't on fire yet. And, and how do you kind of get people to see that, yes, this is requiring immediate action when they look outside, it's a beautiful day, it doesn't look too hot to them, global warming doesn't seem to be an issue today, uh, we'll put it off till tomorrow. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And it's, it's a, to be honest, it's a hard challenge. I mean, it's not easy to talk to people about something that can happen gradually that they don't necessarily always see in their daily lives. That, that actually kind of makes it more important. Um, we, well, since we started, we've done a pretty massive amount of data analysis to try and figure that out. And so we've you know, done hundreds of polls and, you know, the typical marketers toolkit, you know, you test messages in a digital environment, you see what resonates with people, you do the focus groups, you do what we call randomized control tests, where we test a message and we see if it, if it affects a person. And so we've, um, we've deployed, a, you know, all the full toolkit to figure out, like, how do you, how do you get people to care about this issue? And we've learned a couple of really interesting things. Um, the first one is people hardly ever talk about it. So the percentage of Americans who, who talk about climate, quote unquote, often is 7%. Uh, and so it's really hard for an issue to be important to you if it, if it doesn't come up in conversation. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is make it easier to understand and more approachable. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, it's a, you know, it's a great day for some decarbonization or can't wait to get to net zero. <laughs> we, you know, we've, the, the policy world has somehow imposed all of their term, terminology, even greenhouse gases or methane or CO2 or emissions don't really make a lot of sense to people, uh, you know, in, in regular talk. So the first thing that we've been trying to do is figure out, well, what's a way to talk about climate change that can make people actually care about it? Um, so one of the one of the interesting things that we learned when we studied this was uh, people really don't understand the issue. Um, more people think it's caused by plastics or not recycling uh, than they even do from you know from flights or or, uh, or using gas cars and so forth. Nobody knows that it's that having a plant based diet can have a big impact on this. Only twelve percent of Americans think that uh, that eating meat and plant based diet has an impact, and so. The amount of literacy on the issue is really, really low. And one of the reasons is that we make it too complicated. You know, the books on this have the 100, 100 things that you can do to stop climate change. And no one wants to do with that. So we've been trying to think about ways to make it feel more accessible, you know, to use the marketer's toolkit to pick language that people can relate to, that's more vivid, that's more visceral. Um, and we've learned a lot through our research. One of the things that we've learned is... Uh, the language isn't very approachable. Like nobody wakes up in the morning and says like, oh boy, I'm really worried about climate change. On the other hand, people experience extreme weather all the time. And so if you, when we're talking about climate change, we would much rather talk about the extreme weather uh, that's happening as opposed to something that feels like a very gradual process of, uh, of global warming. Uh, and so we're developing a, a library of language that we think is much more approachable People can relate to the fact that there's a blanket of pollution surrounding the earth. 
that's a lot more understandable than there is this accumulation of, of CO2 and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Um, and so we've created a, a body of uh, internet videos that sort of explain it really simply. And we found that they raise concern and, and activism on climate change significantly. When we use the term pollution blanket, uh, instead of global warming, we actually find that people are like, whoa, I don't, I don't want a pollution blanket <laughs> over. We say a pollution blanket is overheating the earth. It has a much higher impact on people than we say there's climate change going on out there. So there's a there's a whole series of sort of people first language that we're trying to deploy on this. I'll give you another example. Why would we possibly in the United States of America spend all of our time talking about 1.5 degrees centigrade to meet the thing called the Paris Accord? First of all, we pick centigrade. We don't use centigrade in our daily lives. We use Fahrenheit. So I'd much rather say in your kid's lifetime, it could be nine degrees warmer rather than say, let's do things to meet 1.5 degree limit in order to reach Paris. So we've let the policymakers define what the language we should be using on this. Like real human beings would be concerned if it was going to be eight or nine degrees warmer in the, uh, in the lifetime of their kids. So all of these little, little ways to phrase it and talk about it differently are things that we should be using in order to make it more relevant and more real for your average American. Right. I, along those lines, I was, I was thinking uh, regarding addressing, you know, climate deniers' points of view is 19 of the last 20 uh, or 19 of the hottest years on record have been in the last 20 years. I mean, that to me just kind of hits people right between the eyes. It's kind of hard to believe that uh, we just randomly had 19 of the hottest years in recorded history right back to back to back. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So it's it's a simple stat that that cuts through a lot of garbage, or at least I would hope. Well, it's great you mentioned it. It's actually that very point is one of the best testing messages that we've tested the 19 of the last 20 years, because it makes it feel people can relate to it in their lives. Like, yeah, it did feel a little warmer. Wow, that's pretty extreme, and so it's 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 much more relatable. As a, as another example, we um we tested a bunch of messages in Florida, uh, and you know the typical uh, the typical environmentalist organization will say sign a petition to get to net zero emissions by 2050. <laughs> and like first of all, I'm not sure what an emission is or what net zero is. And 2050 sure seems like a long way off, and I'm kind of kind of worried about what I'm going to do tomorrow. Um, and then we compared that to another simple petition was sign a petition to stop my flooding. And so the second petition is a few times more effective than the first, because the, what people are experiencing there is an increase in sea level rise in a way that's meaningful. If you live in Miami Beach or you live in, um, you live in Monroe, Florida and so forth. And so if you come at it through what people see, what they feel and what they're worried about, then you you. Uh, you get a lot further and local flooding is a lot more relevant than global warming. And not that many people are, are sort of thinking about the globe on a daily basis, but they sure are thinking about their kids and their kids' nutrition and health and the pollution that they're breathing in or the value of their property, all of those kinds of things. Well, you definitely see it out here in California in terms of uh, the wildfires and that we've had some of the worst wildfire seasons over the last uh, decade. Uh, and, Many scientists believe that it is in part due to global warming. And um, so that's something that gets people's attention out here in a very visceral way. Yeah, it does. And that's not a that's super not a political thing. I mean, there's there's people from all across the political spectrum whose houses are 
at risk or whose insurance rates are going to go up or who are experiencing this. And so I think showing showing the real implications in a way that there's not a political agenda associated with it. There's a human agenda. Like we all care about uh, protecting our communities and protecting our neighbors and protecting our property. And so another thing I, that one of the interesting things we've we've noticed is, I mean, there's there's, there's not a, a less political issue than than you could possibly imagine than, than climate change. It's going to affect all of us, regardless of who, who we vote for. But it it comes across as a political issue when you bring it up. So we found it's very interesting in our work to just say upfront, it's not politics. Uh, and it makes a really big difference. Like if you just, if you just basically say that. And so our, our group of science moms that we're working with, you know, are across the political spectrum. And we've been working with a bunch of young conservatives from the American conservation coalition and another campaign who are, who are conservative, you know, young Americans. And, if you just at the very beginning let people know this isn't a political issue, this is an issue for uh, for all of us. It, it makes a really big difference because uh, I think a lot of people maybe fairly interpret it as you're coming at me with a political agenda as opposed to you're coming at me with with something that's different from that. Well, I can't help myself but to ask you how effective this is uh, in red red state areas. This messaging and have you tested it? And even though this kind of defies what you're just previously saying, which is trying not to make it political, but I can't help but asking, is it effective yeah. in, in that way? Well, if you approach it through a lens of here's how a changing environment is affecting you and your family and the things and people that you love, uh, it's very effective for uh, across the political spectrum. In fact, we've seen the, the folks who are most movable are actually equal parts Republican and, and uh, uh, and Democrat, um, you know, for the uh, for the effort with science moms, because you're approaching it uh, as a human issue and not necessarily a political one. Now, if you if you come at it with three or four sort of tells like signals that this is uh, there's another agenda here, I think uh, that feels different. But uh, it's 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 becoming much more of a universal issue because people are noticing that these things are happening and people are relating and their friends are experiencing it. So. We, we definitely have a big part of our mission to make sure that the messages are for everyone uh, and nobody feels left out. And it's, um, it's important and it's working. Well, uh, that is, I think, brilliant uh, to depoliticize the issue. And I think that there, you know, the left has certainly made a uh, mistakes in terms of sig the signals and the tells that you're talking about to turn it into a political issue, which then naturally gets a, a counter response because it is politicized versus trying to lower the temperature of the rhetoric and engage actually across the aisle to say, hey, this is an issue that affects all of us. We're not trying to win political points here. But uh, we will be back in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern. And my guest today, John Marshall with the Potential Energy Coalition. Uh, great conversation. Look forward to having you back in one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America, KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern back with my guest, John Marshall, the Potential Energy Coalition, founder and CEO. We were just talking about the uh, some of the interesting stats that, that you found from uh, 
doing the research on this. And my understanding, John, is that you did a TED Talk the other day, and uh, it's trending quite well. So uh, maybe you can give the listeners a bit of uh, information about what you had uh, talked about in the talk and where they might be able to find the whole thing if uh, they're so inclined. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, the TED Talk, which was just launched yesterday on Earth Day, is called How to Talk About Climate Change So People Actually Care. And what we go through is, you know, some observations about why people don't necessarily engage in the issue uh, as much as they can and try and uh, give what, uh, uh, what we call small but mighty language adjustments that can get people to understand and care about the threat. Uh, and the, uh, the way I open the talk, which is, always gets me, gets me thinking about this, is a little thought experiment. Like if you were an alien and you came down to the planet and you, and you, you talked to a hundred scientists and you realize that all of them are saying, you're, you guys are in serious trouble. In a few days. You're, you're, you're going to have a hard time living on this planet. And then you randomly polled a hundred citizens. You'd quickly find that interestingly, uh, more than 30% of, of, uh, of people on the globe have never even heard the term climate change. And only one in four Americans are seriously concerned about it. And, you know, less than 10% of people talk about it often. So the alien would be like, whoa, something is wrong on this one. So the problem that we're trying to solve is how do you figure out a way to package it up in, uh, uh, in a simple way that, uh, that people understand? And so the talk goes through uh, three rules that we try and use in our work. And if you'd like, I can, I can, share, um, I can share some examples of that in a minute. That would be great. Uh, yeah, please. So, so the first rule is, we call it the people-first approach to climate communications. The first rule is plain, obvious, and universal language. Because if you don't care about it, you don't care about it if you don't get it. And so we go through, you know, the need to not talk about things like anthropogenic and decarbonization, but the idea of, you know, using concepts that people are already wired to understand, uh, like pollution, uh, like overheating instead of warming. Uh, you know, the idea of irreversibility, the word irreversible really gets people's attention. So there's a series of terms and words that, that tend to have people be able to understand it a little bit better. Um, the second uh, lesson is you're not going to succeed uh, without making it relevant to people's lives individually and personally. And I gave the example earlier on the show about how Floridians care a lot more about their local flooding than they do about global warming. And for everybody, uh, there is there is something like that. So for the group of science moms that we are running the campaign around, it's really about their daughters and their sons, but everyone has a, has a reason to care. And it really needs to be about our lives and not future lives, uh, about our world, uh, our, our communities and our values. And so getting making it very specific. And then the third thing that we talk a lot about is um, it really has to, be an issue, not just for me, but for people like me. And we found in communications that when it comes from somebody who is, um, you know, someone you can relate to, someone with a similar accent, someone with a similar background, someone who feels like they've had similar experiences, you see significant increases in people's understanding and engagement in the issue. Um, we, ran a, we ran a fun little campaign in Florida from a guy uh, uh, who, uh, got in a little trouble with the law because he brought an alligator into a convenience store on a beer run. <laughs> He's out, it's called, it's called safe Florida man. And the campaign basically has this guy talking about uh, why he cares about climate change. And it was really effective because he's a relatable funny guy who got, uh, you know, gotten a little bit of a fix in Florida. And so 
what we are always trying to do is trying to find people you know who you can relate to, and that doesn't necessarily mean they have to be environmentalists. Most people don't necessarily even see themselves as quote unquote environmentalists, and they see climate change as an environmentalist issue. Um, when we find messages that rise above those sort of narrow identity markers, those those uh, those messages do much better. So simple language for people like me uh, in a way that's relevant for me tend to be the three rules that uh, that we like to try and follow. Well, uh, John, you were telling me about a, an ad that you would run, and uh, we'd love to to hear it because I think it would be great to to hear an example of of what these ads sound like, and and you can walk us through it a bit. That sounds great. So this ad uh, just started running this week for Earth Week. Uh, we call it By the Time, and it is really designed for one particular audience, which is the mom, and it tries to put the time frame of climate change, which Usually, it feels distant and long and something that can wait um, uh, in the context of uh, the uh, the raising of a child. And so I will play for you uh, the ad by the time, which ends with the tagline, later is too late. As a scientist, I know by the time she takes her first breath, nine billion more tons of carbon pollution will be in the air. When she takes her first steps, Wildfires will have burned millions more acres she could have explored. The day she gets her first pet, there are thousands of newly extinct species she'll never meet. The night she forgets to call, the night of her first heartbreak, her future home floods for the first of many times. By the time a child born today goes to college, it may be too late to leave them the world we promised. window to act on climate change is like watching them grow up. We blink and we miss it. That's a beautiful ad uh, and just goes right uh, to the heart of of why people should act and the urgency and relates to something that all of us, uh, particularly parents, can uh, can understand that uh, you know, within a matter of a moment, uh, 30 years can pass by. Yeah. I think we're trying to find ways to make it feel relevant to, to people. And, you know, it is, I think one of the things that most people don't realize is, is an, it is an irreversible phenomenon. And so most environmental issues we are actually able to, to back away from, right? Like we have a polluted stream, we can clean it up. If we have, if we have trash on the side of the road, we can pick it up. That's really been in our history with, with things. the tricky part about climate change is once the molecules in the air, it stays there for thousands of years and the heating of the earth is baked in. And so one of the things that we've been trying to get across in our messaging is um, later is too late. Like we actually, we can't reverse the phenomenon and we have to stop the accumulation of the pollution uh, that's surrounding the earth. And it turns out that people's concerns about I'm going to lose something permanently whether it's species that I love or a beach that I went to as a child or the skiing that the skiing season that I enjoyed in Colorado, when you start to convey that you're not going to get those things back, uh, you can't stop the process. People really, it really gets people's attention. Um, and it feels, it feels much more personal if you do it in that particular way. Well, um, I think that's you know brilliant because quite frankly, environmentalists have been doing a pretty poor job at, at, uh, 
communicating the message. I mean, it's really lost in over the last 50 years, so much ground. It, when you consider that in, in 1970, every member of Congress, but one voted for the clean air act. And, and now we're having a hard time getting any environmental legislation through the Congress. Um, we made a we made a spot with the American uh, Conservation Coalition, which is a, a young college based uh, youth group uh, that are of conservatives, which t- took uh, snippets from uh, George Bush, George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, uh, and a whole series of conservative leader speeches over the course of the last 30 years, all talking about addressing these challenges in a way that really appealed to conservative values because there, there are free market ways to approach it. And it really is an interesting uh, it's interesting to reflect on the last 40 years and how many great conservative leaders have actually stepped up to, uh, you know, to these environmental challenges. And so we're, we're hoping that the youth in the conservative movement serves to inspire uh, a new generation of conservative leaders to do the same thing, because conservation is really a core conservative value. And it, uh, it should uh, and is not that tricky to actually appeal uh, to people with different values. Um, and have them, you know, have them step up to climate change. And we, we have a lot of hope that we can do that. Yeah, I, I see it that way, too, is that it, it is and should be a conservative value. And that's one of the things that drew me to the Republican Party was that I saw people like George H.W. Bush say he wanted to be the environmental president, which is kind of shocking looking back at if you look at the Republican Party today. But it, it was not earth shattering at the time. And something that he won in uh, 1988, running on that message and then signing into law Clean Air Act uh, Part Two, uh, with also many Republicans in Congress voting in favor of that law, which has saved, according to the National Geographic, 230,000 lives every year since it, you know, this last year because of taking pollutants out of the air. So it's. It's kind of an obvious no-brainer that uh, this should be something we should all be for. Yeah, and there are conservative market-based solutions. You know, pricing. You know, pricing carbon. There's a there's a there's a really incredible approach, the carbon dividend, where you can put a, you can put a price on the pollutant and actually write a check back uh, to Americans who do that. So you 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 actually create a market-based solution in a way that is not um, which is revenue neutral. So the the conservative solutions exist. You know, they need some more advocacy to move through the system. I mean, I, I think it'll happen. It, it, when we look at our data, the, the big gap is uh, on the conservative side is between young and older people. Like the future of the conservative movement cares a lot about this issue. And so they're gonna, you know, hopefully grow their power and grow their voice as, um, as time goes on. Well, you've been listening to uh, Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter. My guest again, John Marshall. And uh, we'll be back in just one minute. You're listening to Unite and Heal America with Matt Matter and your host, KBC 790. Again, uh, we're back with our guest, uh, John Marshall, Potential Energy Coalition, founder and CEO. And uh, John, wanted to uh, pivot with uh, you to another topic, the infrastructure bill that uh, President Biden is backing and uh, your thoughts as to how this might affect uh, environmental communication regarding how we should be improving, um, you know, our our infrastructure that will 
positively affect the environment? Right. Great question. I mean, we we've talked a lot about in about the the risks and the fears and the problems associated with addressing climate change, but the big untold story is the prosperity boom that can come as a consequence of that. So one of the things we've been also working on is this uh, this idea called the Great American Build, where if we uh, we need to tell people that if we actually tackle this effectively, there's a massive amount of opportunity for Americans, and it's not just with it's not just with windmills and uh, uh, and power plants. It's you know it's with el- electricians and plumbers and steel workers and boilermakers. It's with a whole group of Americans who, uh, you know, if we really step up to upgrade our infrastructure for the future, um, there's a significant amount uh, of job creation that comes along with it. Um, it's been um, it's not been well understood in the past how how fighting climate change is actually a job opportunity. And I think it's been positioned improperly and poorly that it's a job killer when in fact, we all know that progress is a job creator. We know that when we move from the, from the horse and buggy to the car, we've got a lot of cars to make. You know, today there are a billion gas cars uh, on the road. I wouldn't mind building the billion uh, electric cars, which we know are gonna get built in America. And so take every single industry and you're gonna have a similar uh, opportunity. It's gonna happen. Like we're going to convert to the next generation of technology. And just like we upgrade our phones or our computers, we're going to upgrade our energy systems. And so trying to have people understand that um, America can win uh, with the technologies that, uh, that also fight climate change is, uh, is a pretty powerful untold story. So we're, we're very interested in getting the word out on that um, and making sure people realize that this is actually, this is actually the, you know, we, we, we say fighting climate change is the job of our lifetime, and this is a tremendous amount of opportunity. Right. Uh, it's something that I've often said is that uh, people say, well, environmental regulation is uh, going to be a job killer. Well, look at the California economy. The California economy has outpaced national growth uh, for a number of years, and uh, we've added 12 million people over the time that I've been here since 1988. Uh, it's it's certainly a job creation engine, and during that period of time, uh, we've uh, had cleaner air than when I got here in 1988. So there has been fairly stringent environmental regulation vis-a-vis the rest of the country, and yet it's still outperforming the country. Uh, another area that uh, you touched on was the electric cars, and I, I have I always like to chime in that I have a hydrogen car. And so, uh, you know, I really think that hydrogen is the way of the future. And I think that it's, uh, it's even cleaner. You don't have to mine for batteries and you don't have to dispose of batteries. So um, we, may, we may have it out on that one. But I think uh, it's competing technologies and let the marketplace kind of sort this out to a certain extent. But I think the, the overall uh, trend of where you were leading on this issue is the U.S. can be a leader in these issues in order to um, certainly have job creation around the uh, the country. And to the extent we cede these issues to China or other countries, uh, we will we will lose jobs, and those jobs will go overseas. So we we certainly should be leading. We we have all the technology to do so. 
And for anyone who doubts that there's an opportunity here, a few weeks ago, a guy named Elon Musk became the richest man on the planet. And he tends to he tends to make a product that's A, better for the future, but B, pretty fun to drive. Uh, I've had one for seven years now. Um, the And so, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm with Bill Gates on the fact that the innovation is what is going to solve this. I think if you don't put a price on the pollutant and, you know, make it, make it more expensive to pollute, but more... Uh, uh, more rewarding to innovate, then you're not going to get there quickly enough. And so the the advantage of uh, you know of putting the right incentives in place is that we can win. And there's a tremendous both economic opportunity, but the products are cooler and better and more fun and, and safer and cheaper. And so you know you've seen you've seen the cost of uh, of renewable energy go down. Solar's gone down by eighty six percent over the course of the last decade. You know how many Americans know that that's true. Uh, less than one in five Americans know that the price of solar has gone down by 86%. And so the, the, the trajectory of America is to innovate, to drive costs down, to create better products. It's happening, uh, but a little, bit of a, a little bit of a kick on that so that the polluting industries are paying more and the innovating industries are paying less, you know, can, can not only solve society's greatest problem, but it actually can, can cause America really to prosper. And there's a, there's a lot of opportunity here. Right. And, and uh, for those who are free market fans, which uh, I certainly support having a, a free market, we have to recognize that our markets have always been regulated and regulation uh, is good for consumers and the market. We look at the SEC. Well, of course, we want the, the securities that uh, we're buying and selling to be regulated, to have proper disclosures and so on and so forth. That regulation by the government protects all of us as investors and makes our companies stronger and more transparent. Um, the same is true for the environment in terms of, of course, it took the government to step in and say, in the state of California, we've got to cut pollution and we've got to put in catalytic converters into cars to cut the lead or, or to cut the pollutants out of uh, the exhaust. And when they did that, the car companies adapted as they should, and we have cleaner air. And all the car companies survived that because the regulation was neutral. Right, I mean, the key thing is a level playing field. Uh, we do things on a level playing field. I'm confident that American industry can, uh, can thrive. I mean, look, we're a bunch of former uh, business execs who you know, are working on climate change. We're interested in growing markets and selling stuff in, in creating uh, you know, in, in creating, you know, a healthier economy. That's, that's kind of where we come from. And finally, climate change is a big, is a big opportunity. Uh, you know, the question is how do you position it? So, it, uh, so it feels that way, but we, uh, you know, the electric car market is going to be massive uh, over the course uh, of the next few years. So let's lead, uh, let's get people excited about it. And I think that's because the products are better and it's not just because it's a small green niche. It's, uh, it's something that all Americans can get behind. Right. I guess the question is in terms of circling back to your your messaging and a communication strategy of letting people know that uh, this is important and the infrastructure that we build uh, can affect them positively. Uh, Have you done any ads on this or uh, what are you doing to communicate this message effectively to uh, everyday Americans? Yeah, so we had a campaign uh, ad that came out uh, a few weeks ago, um, and it starts with, uh, with the line, calling all builders, uh, calling all roofers, calling all electricians, calling all steel workers. 
you know, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to get the message out that uh, for everyday Americans, if we, if we invest in the infrastructure in the country and we invest in clean infrastructure, there's a massive opportunity and an opportunity for leadership and growth. So we're working on it. Um, I think, you know, with respect to the environment, it's, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle. <laughs> we got to get people to understand, understand the issue better. We got to people, get people to understand how it affects them. And then we got to get people to get excited about the solution. So we're working on all pieces of those uh, with the hope that, uh, that we make some real progress in the next couple of years. How do you see uh, your, your organization growing and, and where, where do you see the future of your organization uh, going over the next uh, year, five years, 10 years? Where is it headed? Well, we have a big goal of trying to get the majority of Americans to make this a very high priority. And as I said at the beginning, it's um, you know, about one in four uh, see this as, as their issue. Uh, and so I'd like to get that over 50%. I'd like to make it a non-political issue. Um, that means we're going to have to do a lot of things. We're going to have to do work with suburban moms. We're going to have to do work with Midwestern farmers. We're going to have to do work with coastal uh, communities. We're going to have to meet a lot of different people where they go. So we'll launch a series of campaigns that are you know, zeroed in on the human beings or on the other side of them. And we'll educate them. We'll make the issue real to them. And then we'll give them options things to do. So I think I hope to broaden the number of efforts. And so your listeners can can check out sciencemoms.com for one little sample, but we'll have a, we'll have us we'll have several of those that will launch over over time and try and add a whole bunch of new new voices to the climate movement and move it beyond the the narrow group of more progressive folks into a bunch of Americans who care about the issue and want to solve it and we want to talk to them on their terms rather than uh, rather than anyone else's. Well we're uh John, I appreciate the great work that your organization is doing. Where can uh, our listeners go to uh, to learn more and uh, maybe join your movement, help you out, and uh, support the work that you're doing? But yeah, that's a great question. I think that the best the best way to do that is to get involved in the campaigns that we're helping to launch. And so the big one right now is sciencebombs.com. Uh, but dads are welcome too. <laughs> so are uncles and nephews and nieces and kids. But uh, that's that's the first big public effort, sciencemoms.com, and uh, it's a it's a fun site that uh, that has a bunch of climate scientists who are educating people on the issue. So that that'd be the first source that I'd recommend. And then check out my TED talk on TED.com. Um, the uh, the name of the talk is, uh, as I mentioned before, the name of the talk is how to talk about climate change so people can actually care. And I'd encourage you to share it uh, with others because I think the more we talk about the issue, the closer we'll get to depoliticizing it and making it something that every American could get behind. Well, I appreciate the great work that you're doing. And I think it's in the tradition of, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln, who set aside the first parklands here in California to protect the sequoias and, uh, you know, and starting the EPA under Nixon and, and then Clean Air uh, two under George H.W. Bush and, and, of course, many others that have led on this issue across the political spectrum. And, and we need to unite and heal America. Uh, your host, uh, Matt Mattern, and you've been listening to KBC 790 with my guest, John Marshall, of the Potential Energy Coalition. John, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure to be with you.